Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. Um, it's actually somebody I met at dinner not too long ago, probably a few months ago. I think we met at a pavilion dinner here in Boston. Uh, she's also featured thought leader for Pavilion and Sales Assembly, so this is not her first rodeo doing the, the podcast game, and she is the head of sales for the Americas at Contract Book, uh, Steph Sanders. How are you doing today? Hey everyone, I'm good. And Jeff left out the the best part of how we know each other. I recently did the uh, Pavilion Rising Exec program and he was my cohort leader. So we got to spend uh, 12 weeks together doing those sessions too, which was really fun. Nice. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't tank it uh, bad enough uh, that you didn't want to come on and, and talk to me here. So that's, that's good. Um, well, thank you so much. Let's start just by, you know, learning a little bit about you and what you do. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about you and your role, your background coming into sales, what contract books all about. Um, give us kind of the, the rundown and all that. Yeah, well, I'll try not to make it make it like a reading of a of a resume or anything. But uh, I've been in sales my entire career. Um, I graduated from college in 2009, um, so not necessarily the best uh, economy, you know, when it comes to a first job out of school. But you know, had been told over and over, "Hey, you should, you should be in sales. You should be in sales." I guess I have that type of personality. I don't know. Um, my first job out of school, though, I went to work for a company that um, was basically started as an outsource biz dev function for, for teams, dating myself. But this was back before everyone had, you know, their own internal BDR teams and, and, and functions. Um, and so I took the job really as a chance to just learn knew I'd be working with a lot of different companies and a lot of different industries and that kind of thing and figured I'd try out the the sales thing for a little bit and then go figure out, you know, where I wanted to go and, and specialize when I grew up, quote, quote. Um, I was really fortunate that while I was there, I spent about four and a half, five years there. Um, we spun off a whole sales training and consulting side of the, the business and primarily we're working with, you know, up and coming software tech companies. And so, really just kind of fell in love with the the sales process and, and sales training and methodology side of it all and realized it wasn't necessarily what you were selling but kind of how you were thinking about the the whole the whole all of the different parts of the puzzle um, that, that made it fun and so um, ever since then have have been at different software tech companies leading sales teams um, spent you know, couple years on more of the biz dev and sales dev side of things in the past, you know, five, six years managing um, full cycle teams and reps, but really just um, focused on, you know, more startup scale up size organizations going through that, that hyper growth mode and helping build out team and teams and strategies and processes. And um, I've been at contract book for about the past two years. Um, so we are a Danish based company, um, which is really cool. And um, I got the chance to come on board and help 
build up the the North American team and North American market here. Um, and so at this point, that, that's what I'm focused on is, is managing the, the revenue function for North America, um, helping us continue to, to scale and, and go to market here. And it almost feels at times, you know, like a little bit of a startup within a, a startup. Um, but it's learned, I've learned a lot and it's been a, a good run so far. Awesome. Well, you mentioned just now a company's uh, Danish company and you're, you're obviously tasked with building the go-to-market here in the United States. I think we see that a lot. Uh, European companies, sometimes Israeli companies um, wanting to you know, come to a, really globally, right? It could be anywhere, but they come to the U.S. and they want to create a presence here. Uh, they find someone like you to go and do that. But I would imagine that there's some pros and cons to that, some things that make that fun and exciting and also things that could make it challenging. Uh, what what are those things? What what has your experience been? Yeah, and this is actually my my second go around at the whole you know European company coming to to the U.S. I worked for um, a German based company uh, a couple years back doing the the same, and um, definitely differences, definitely some pros, some cons, some challenges. Um, I'd say you know for for me, I think that. There's a little bit of security in it, though, when you have a company that's a little bit more established and has kind of figured it out, you know, in terms of um, at least a go to market and a playbook and, and stuff like that for for their their home region. Um, that doesn't mean there's not differences, you know, when it, it comes to what what it takes to, to build out things here. But um, I don't know that that I'd feel necessarily comfortable jumping in as employee number one or two at, at, a, at a company. But um, you're almost doing that when you're you're stepping into that that role at uh, an organization as they're expanding into a new market. Um, for us here at Contract Book, you know, we're backed by some of the biggest VCs that are that are all based in the U.S., which I think helps, you know, too, because a lot of what you know we're building and, and working with them on is is more based around you know the the things that that make it um, make companies successful in the U.S. market and um, it gives me a lot of 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 comfort in the fact that that we're going to be taken seriously you know as a team and as an org that, that that's here um in the united states so um i think it's definitely something that, that you need to consider um if you're weighing your options of whether that's something that you you want to do there's things like cultural differences and time zone differences and and stuff like that that, that it would be naive to say don't matter um I think I prefer I'm more of an early bird, you know, I don't mind waking up to 20, 30 Slack messages every morning if I know by five, six o'clock I'm able to, to tap out. Um, I feel worse, you know, for my colleagues there that I'm messaging at 10 p.m. their time, but <laughs> it's all just that balance of, of how you make it work. And, um, you know, we do a lot of things to try to make it you know, one company rather than, than two separate, you know, businesses operating kind of um, as passing ships. So, um, you know, monthly town halls with the entire company. We try to do, um, you know, as often as we can get people together from teams, you know, either at, at HQ and we do a um, meetup annually that's the whole company and we all get to go somewhere. Um, you know, fun that, that the team gets together. So just as much as you can to try to facilitate that that unity, even when it is, you know, separate, separate teams a little bit at a time. 
Makes sense. And I would imagine, you know, one of your mandates, you know, when you're when you're hired into this type of role where it's an international company, you know, t- saying, hey, Steph, we need you to come in and build out the team in the United States. Your first thought is, well, I got to go find people, find good people that are going to help me do this and find AEs and, and, and so on. And so question is, like, what do you look for when you're hiring, especially for like this type of role? Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what what are your thoughts around how you go out and find the right people? What are the attributes you're looking for? What are like some of the key questions that you're asking to make sure that you're putting together the right team? Um, yeah, I think for any sales leader, that's probably the most important part of of a job is being able to to hire and, and build a good team and, and make sure that you can um, get them up and running as as quickly and efficiently efficiently as possible. Um, you know, for a startup, I think it takes a certain type of, of individual that wants to to take on the the challenges of, of something like this. Um, you know, we're we're also a remote first company, so you know, it's not something where me or a, a manager is going to be in the office working with them all day every day to get them up and running. Um, and so, you really need to dig in a lot on just that, like. How hungry are they? Do they have that grit that it's going to take to to really strive in an environment like that? Um, and especially, you know, if you're looking at even like a BDR role or a more junior AE type position where there's not going to be a ton of of previous work experience to base these decisions off of. It's like, what are the stories that they can tell you about the things that they've they've done during school or, you know, on the side that they've really committed themselves to so that you can kind of lean in on, on, on how hungry they are and, and how, how, how much they're going to want, you know, to, to be successful and, and work hard and things like that. Um, I think other important things to, to try to, to measure is going to be, you know, how coachable are they? Are they going to be someone who fits in and plays well with the other members of the team? Um, usually the, the most successful teams that, that I've managed in the past have been a pretty eclectic bunch of people not coming from similar backgrounds or similar levels of experience, but um, that almost gives them the ability to learn from each other and work together in a way that if you know we were hiring for one specific type of profile that, that we would be missing. And so um, you know questions that, that I try to always, include and ask are going to be more, you know, situational, behavioral type questions, like tell me stories about this, give me an example of this. Like, um, you know, I feel like so it's so easy for people to know kind of the right answer that you're looking for. But the more that you kind of peel back the layers, you really get to understand, you know, if if it is something that they've done or is something that they've they've experienced versus, you know, telling the story that they feel like a hiring manager wants to hear. Um, Of course, you know, experience, performance, metrics, all of that's helpful, but I feel like those are usually more the the bullet points on a, on a resume more than what I try to spend a lot of time in conversations on because, you know, for a sales role at any level, it's more of that that human personal connection that you want to make sure that they're able to, to have with people. And I think a lot of that just comes down to the conversations that you're able to, to have with them during the interview process. And not just what you're asking them, but what they're asking you is probably even more important than anything. You know, there's a difference between someone telling you a thing and then, you know, you having them do a, a pitch and then telling them everything that was wrong with it. And, 
seeing how they react, which I think is pretty common for a lot of people. They'll do something like this to see if someone's coachable or if they're defensive and stubborn and things like that. But I like the storytelling because anybody can say a thing about themselves. There's no way to validate it. Right. But it's hard to make up, you know, really authentic stories and stories that you can validate often by back channeling and, and on, on the, on the individual, if you'd like to with people they've worked with in the past. So I think that's some- yeah, and that, that's another thing. It's like, you know, I, I think a lot of people got used to offering references and offering, you know, things like that. And it's sort of like, okay, I know you just gave me the three people, you know, are going to tell you the, tell me the best things possible about you. And same thing when, you know, a, a, a prospect's asking for customer referrals. It's like, who do you think I'm going to put you in touch with right now? But um, yeah, the ability to kind of uh, check, you know, the, the, the situations, the stories that, that they've told you. I mean, the, the SaaS world for, for better or worse, it's a very tight knit community and it's not usually hard to try to, you know, get a understanding of what it's been like to work with, with someone in the past. If it's someone who, who has previous work experience. Exactly. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pivot a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the the challenges. I think, you know, you and I probably both experienced there's been, everyone knows there's been a downturn in the SaaS world. Uh, I forget what the percentage is. I think it's like 20% of reps are hitting quota or something like that. It's a very depressing number. Um, you know, as a manager, uh, this is tough because you've got people that are struggling. Uh, I'm not saying that, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're not a contract book. I don't know, but in general uh, we're seeing that there's reps that are struggling and, you know, they probably want to be making more money. And, and, you know, this means that maybe comp planning gets adjusted. I don't know. How do you manage, you know, just given that there is this uh, effect that everyone is feeling throughout all of the SaaS world. um, How do you as a manager adapt to that? How do you, how do you speak to the people on your team? How do you make them feel comfortable about how things are going to go for them in the long run? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it has not been easy. It hasn't been easy, I think, for for probably anyone listening to this. Um, hopefully, I, I think that we're starting to see shifts, you know, back in a, in a better direction, but that's still going to take time. And um, you know, I am, uh, I'm pretty direct and pretty transparent sometime to a, a fault, but, um, I think that that's one of the things that, that I try to embrace with my team is that empathy and is that, that openness of like, this is, this is what's going on. You know, if there's the, you know, just, just making sure that there's a very direct line of communication. I think the worst thing for, for most people is that, that, feeling of uncertainty and not knowing, you know, what could be coming around the corner. And I never want someone on, on one of my teams or that is working, you know, with with me to feel like they, they have that doubt of of what could be in store for them. Um, And so just, just trying to, to lead with that empathy, lead with that transparency um, and doing everything that you can, you know, to help them through tough situations. Um, you know, I personally have been spending a ton more time like working deals myself and, and working deals with the team. I think that, that that's what leaders can do to really like put themselves in the shoes of the people that, that they're managing and that, that are on the teams. Um, because, you know, there, there's, there's only so much that you can understand by, 
you know, watching from the sidelines and, and building playbooks and things like that when, you know, most of the time uh, sales process doesn't follow the the playbook. It's more of how do you how do you develop a, a playbook that you can can pivot when you you need to and you're not going to get that understanding if you're not not in there with them. Um, I think that, you know, most organizations have probably had a look at, at overall goals and numbers and things like that. And if you're in a position where, you know, overall numbers have been adjusted, then that's something that should certainly, you know, go back to the, the reps as well. And if you have the ability to, to kind of make those changes and tweaks, I think that's what, um, you know, really gets that buy-in from the, the team that, that you're doing all that you can to support them during a difficult time and, um, you know, try, that you're in the same place with them that, that they are. Yeah, I, I love that. The transparency piece is key. It's like everyone needs to understand why everything is happening because I think it makes them feel better because it's easy to just draw these uh, nefarious conclusions around something. It's like, hey, why, you know, they, they must feel this way about me because they're not making this adjustment or whatever, right? Um, reminds me of, uh, I got to interview Todd Capone, who's the author of uh, The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader. So a um, lot of, you know, similar themes there that I think are, are, are very important here around uh, transparency. Yeah. And I, I just did his, uh, his leadership course through sales assembly. So probably a lot of it is, is stolen from, from him. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good stuff. I mean, big, big shout out to Todd if hopefully he's listening. Um, I'm going to pivot and I guess now to my, my last question. And I, this is something I, I like to ask, like, you know, pretty much everyone I talk to, cause it's all the rage right now in, uh, not just in the sales world, but probably just the world at large, which is artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of these tools that have come out now that can help automate a lot of the work that reps are doing. And uh, even right now, I've been evaluating all sorts of different things that I'm starting to get my hands on that are pretty cool. Um, very fascinating topic and a lot of debate about whether it will replace salespeople, it will augment the work of salespeople, maybe a little bit of both. Uh, are you guys, are you guys leveraging AI? Um, are you personally, you know, uh, seeing any trends in the industry or have any predictions for how AI will shape the, uh, the sales space? I think it's going to be, you know, one of those things that if you don't, if you don't embrace it, if you don't experiment with it, if you don't, don't try it, you're probably going to be, be left somewhat behind, but at the same time, you know, I'm not in the the camp that I see this, you know, replacing every BDR out there and replacing, you know, AEs for the sales process because there's still it's missing that human element, which is the the biggest piece. And you know, we we've been experimenting with things like list building and you know, prospecting research and and stuff like that. And um, I think that that there's a lot that that it's going to be able to do to help support these roles, but it's nothing that's ever going to, you know, wipe them away. And the reps that are the the ones that are smart about it and ways to improve their their process are the ones that are, are going to start to stand out from their peers who aren't using it or against it or, or things like that. Um, there's a lot out there that you see you know, that that's showing like comparisons of before versus after with with 
through AI and predicting, you know, how how this tweak would change, you know, um, this messaging and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think the the more that you you try it and experiment and see, you know, what does make the difference for, for you and your team and your process, the better off you're going to be. But that's also, you know, just like any of these other tools that, that are continuously coming out. And, um, you know, what, what I think my kind of fear with, with the whole AI movement is, is that it'll become something like a lot of the other sales engagement tools out there where as soon as, you know, people start seeing success with it in some way, then everyone starts to replicate the exact same thing that puts us in, you know, challenges that we've seen with prospecting and outbound and sales in general over the past couple of years. Um, And so just like, you know, anything with, with, with outbound and, and sales today, it's going to be the people who use it in a creative way that, that kind of differentiate themselves from the, the herd otherwise. Makes sense. Yeah. It's a very measured take. I appreciate it. Like, let's not, let's not like overreact, but at the same time, uh, if you're doing nothing. You're probably going to be left in the dust. And I, I think I agree with that. I think there's a, um, there's a lot of great applications. There's a lot of uh, potential to commoditize outreach, like you said, and um, which means that you'll need to find other ways to stand out from the crowd. So it actually could create an opportunity for people that are thinking about it. What's the coolest thing that you've done with it so far? Well, so I'm playing around with tools right now that are giving me, that are automating um intent signals actually. So for example, if I, you know, if a certain prospect of mine has a job posting that mentions uh, an initiative that we could play a role in, and it might mention who that uh, job funnels up to, it's a great signal for me that maybe I should be reaching out to that person right now, right? Um, I think there's some interesting things about data that can be surfaced. Um, niche type of data, not like, to, you know, not like firmographic data, like, you know, how big is this company or what software do they use, but more specifically, like, you know, what are they trying to solve? And a lot of times you'll find that either in an earnings call or a job, a job uh, posting, um, it's not, not, it's, I guess you could think of it as like alternative data. Right. Trigger for action. Good stuff. Yeah. We got to, I got to plug my friends at Humantic since they're the ones who sponsor the podcast. They, they do a great job of giving that information, intel about the buyer, personality data, basically, so that you can tune your message in a great way. So uh, obviously one of my favorite tools that's out there goes without saying. But um, Steph, thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. You're doing some great things and um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, of course. Great, great. Always fun to, to chat. And if anyone wants to connect, I'm just Steph Sanders on LinkedIn. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, keep it authentic.